Define Life Script, a series of unconscious relational patterns that inhibit spontaneity and limit flexibility in problem solving, health maintenance, and in relationship with people. So the symptoms of that then would be the common mental health issues that people occur. Relationships with people. Yeah. Difficulty in managing health issues. Yeah. yeah. Such as, as smoking, excessive drinking, obesity, yeah. all the yeah. things that a medical profession is concerned about. Yeah. Why doesn't a person take good care of themselves? Yeah. yeah. What kind of relationship problems do they have? And can they solve problems in their life? Yeah. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others, co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Richard Erskine. Richard is the training director at the Institute for Integrative Psychotherapy, a clinical psychologist and an author of numerous books and articles on the practice of psychotherapy. We discuss Richard's early work in psychotherapy, how he came across TA in the 70s, and how TA developed in those early years. It was recorded in September 2019 face-to-face, and unfortunately, being new to this, the sound quality isn't great, and we only have 30 minutes of the interview. The material, however, is excellent. Richard also graciously agreed to a second interview, which you can hear in episode two. Well, welcome to Ireland, Richard. It's amazing to have the opportunity to meet you in person. And Matt's flown in from Cambridge. We're all here together. It's really lovely to have you. Thank you. It's been fabulous driving down from Dublin with the great weather. We stopped at two wonderful gardens and then a walk on the beach. So here we are after a lovely drive today. Fantastic. We're really grateful that we managed to connect like this. You just happened to be passing through Ireland. Very close to where John is. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I suppose maybe if we start off, Richard, by getting you to introduce a little bit about yourself, your background, where you come from, and, and some of your work. Well, it's interesting. I never expected to be in the psychotherapy profession. I did intend to be an osteopath. Oh, wow. And had a chance to go to school on scholarship, and I discovered that that would have gotten me sent to Vietnam as a medic. Okay. Oh. So I quit. And I looked around how to protect myself from not going to Vietnam and yeah. became a special education teacher. Wow. Right. Okay. So I spent four years in the classroom with what we called at that time emotionally disturbed and socially maladjusted children, mm-hmm. which means kids were really in trouble. Yeah. And a lot of the kids, their parents were drug addicts and alcoholics, uh, came from violent situations. So I was doing a lot of therapy in the classroom with really poor kids in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Then in the afternoons, late evenings, I was building on that. I had much more middle class, even wealthier kids coming for what we called educational therapy. Okay. But it meant I was really doing a lot of play therapy with them and not much homework. Yeah. My parents wanted me to be doing <laughs> So I really built a practice around so that and then uh, around how to work with kids. Okay. Um, and then Miraculously, I got hired at the university to teach child psychology and, and child development mm-hmm. and child psychotherapy. So uh, that's always been my specialty, mm-hmm. sort of under the table. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I've just written a very long article on child development theory as applied in psychotherapy. Okay. It should be published this coming year in the 
International Journal of Integrative Psychotherapy. Brilliant. That's not long. That's sort of my background. Great. And I suppose, how how was it then that you got involved in transactional analysis? Actually, it started with Gestalt therapy. Well, even before that, in 1967, because I was a child therapist, I was hired to be the therapist of a group of nurses who survived a mass murder. A crazy guy got into a dormitory, tied up the nurses, butchered some of them, and uh, then he fled when one sounded the alarm. But all the young women who survived regressed. Mm. Um, some of them were there, and I would sit somewhere in the next building, but they were all traumatized, mm. and they hired me. And I had two days, I mean, four days a week, two hours of supervision on what I, the work I was doing with those women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was from Bob Neville, who had been Carl Rogers' partner. Oh, right. Uh, and so I had a very good foundation in client-centered therapy yeah. in treating trauma in that kind of a setting, yeah. uh, which was a therapy without methods. The therapy of really being present with them, of the practicing an unconditional positive regard yeah. and yeah. directiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Then along comes Fritz Pearls doing a training program in Chicago. Yeah. So I joined that. And at the same time, Fanita English was bringing Eric Byrne to Chicago. She was my neighbor in Hyde Park. Okay, so you're from East Chicago. Oh, so you're from Chicago. And uh, I asked Fritz, should I go? He said, ah, that's all that game stuff. Okay. Uh, now, I read games people play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't care for it. Uh, I still don't care for it. Except there's one chapter on advantages to games. Mm. There's a beautiful chapter about the psychological function behind playing games. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about the advantages of games. Yeah. That I was interested in. Yeah. And I still admire that chapter. Yeah. Um, I don't teach games much. Um, I look at what's the dynamics leading up to some cross-transaction. What's the dynamics leading up to somebody feeling awful about themselves or hating somebody else? Yeah. Rather than identifying the game, confronting the game, trying to find some cross-up in the game. And would you say that in the 60s then, this was what you were doing was kind of pioneering work? I don't know if I would be considered a pioneer at that that point, that early, because there were a few other people doing child therapy. It was brand new. There There was not much of it. Literature. Yeah. There was not much literature on family therapy either. Mm-hmm. And most of the psychotherapy literature was psychodynamic, psychoanalytic, really. Yeah. Not even. And then there was Gestalt therapy and there was TA mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some bioenergetics. But they were they were still all in their infancy. Yeah, yeah. TA was very new at that point, so right. wasn't it? Yeah. So Fritz Perl said, don't bother to go to their workshop. So I didn't go. <laughs> well, um, so did you ever meet Eric Byrne? No, I did not. I'll tell you what. Okay. I was too poor. <laughs> I couldn't afford to go to California. Okay. Um, but I did go to a workshop with David Cuffer. Ah. And he started putting these little circles on the board. And then suddenly I had a different understanding of what Byrne was getting at in games people play. Okay. Ah. Right. And yeah. so I got intrigued by the concept of ego states. So a lot of my early writings is trying to clarify what is an ego state and what's the different models and why do we have all these different viewpoints mm. and 
what did Verne originally mean okay. by child? Yeah. Of how a person is really stuck in the perspective of being a little boy or a little girl. Yeah. And what does he mean by parent? How it's really interjecting, taking in the attitudes, the beliefs, the behavior of your parent and misidentifying them as your own. Yeah. And then who is here now if they're not contaminated by being a kid yeah. or acting like father or mother? Right. Yeah. So that got me intrigued. And then after those workshops with David Cuffer, who has shared the office with Eric Byrne, he, he was the uh, first president of ITAA. Interesting. Yeah. And so he was my original sponsor for my clinical training. Very good. Then he died and Hedges Capers took over. And Hedges was bringing to each of our training groups the manuscript of what became What Do You Say After You Say Hello. Okay, yeah. So we started working from that book and the workshops we did with the experiential exercises. And I got so intrigued with life scripts mm. that that has been a major thrust of my own research and, and not scientific investigation, but qualitative kind of research into yeah. life scripts and what constitutes a script and what are all the different methods of therapy. Yeah. Could so, I ask, so if, for this podcast, it's going out to the public. It might not be very easy to do this, but would you be able to uh, explain briefly in, you know, a summary of what a life script is for somebody who's never come across TA in that field? Actually, I just got an award last year for a series of writings that I did, where I define life script is a series of unconscious relational patterns mm -hmm. that inhibit spontaneity and limit flexibility in problem solving, health maintenance, and in relationship with people. So there The symptoms of that then would be the common mental health issues that people occur. Relationships with people. Yeah. Difficulty in managing health issues. Yeah. Either such as, as smoking, or excessive drinking, obesity, yeah. exercise. Yeah. All yeah. the things that a medical profession is concerned about. Yeah. Why doesn't a person take good care of themselves? Yeah. yeah. Right. What kind of relationship problems do they have? Right. And can they solve problems in their life? Yeah. For example, a woman in my workshop uh, not long ago was talking about how she could not write her examination. Every time she'd come home from work, she would sit down to write, but her desk was a mess full of unopened mail and things, and she would get 10 minutes into writing and go blank. Okay. And I started investigating Well, what was it like for you coming home from school doing homework as a little mm -hmm. kid? She mm -hmm. came home to an alcoholic mother. Okay. The house was a mess. She had to get her mother cleaned up. She had to do the cooking. She had to do the house cleaning. Right. And That's there the was that old pattern that she had learned that she'd actually even forget about uh -huh. without some careful inquiry. Yeah. As part of And this is why it was unconscious because it was out of her awareness. That's right. Yeah. Right. Now, how are these patterns formed? That's been a whole debate in the TA literature, and each of the various schools of therapy has focused on the various ways they've been formed. Hmm. What I talk about in my articles is 
They're formed by physiological survival reactions. These are when there is ruptures in relationship mm-hmm. that happen very early in life mm-hmm. before there is language. Now, the kid may have some words, yeah. but before they have conceptual language, where they really understand things. Mm-hmm. So is that yeah. particular age? Zero to six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you think that it's uh, pre-birth as well, stuff that happens while the baby's in the womb? Can be, certainly traumatized mother. It's, it's going to cross the center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure of that. We don't have any really good scientific evidence yeah. for yeah. that. But we have a lot of anecdotal evidence. Yes. So that when that child is under stress, the body tightens up. Mm. So the script is in the body. Mm. Then you have that other period of time where the child has some words, some vocabulary, but they don't have concept. They don't understand family dynamics. Mm. Mom and dad are fighting, and the kid says, oh, it must be my fault. Mm. Or if I'm really good, then daddy won't be drinking. Mm. Or if I'm really helpful, mama won't be depressed. Mm. So it's not like they made a decision, but they came to a conclusion. Right. Like one of my clients, she kept saying, oh, I'm of no value. And I finally said, well, when did you decide that? Yeah. And she looked at me and laughed. I didn't decide that. In my family, girls are of no value. I'm kid number five. I had four other brothers. My father worshipped them. I came along. My only job was to help mama. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was of no value. I never decided that. Mm. Was, that's normal. That's how it is. Yeah. Right? So when you have these unconscious relational patterns that occur as implicit memory yeah. rather than explicit memory, then you need a different kind of approach to psychotherapy. Mm. Then you get the events that happen that you might remember from age 10 or 12 or, or maybe even as young as eight, where something happened and made a decision. I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I won't trust people again. Yeah. Or I won't take a risk again. Yeah. Or I give up on school. And those are explicit decisions. Yeah. That's another kind of therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we have script that's interjection, like parent-egos. Can you explain interjection? Yeah. It's an unconscious, defensive identification. Okay. Or maybe you better say an unconscious self-protective identification Correct. with thoughts, feelings, behaviors of a significant other mm. that occurs in the absence of full relational contact. Okay. So when you don't, when that kid doesn't have a full relational contact, mm-hmm. where their relational needs are not being met, it kind of vacuum. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> That's the yeah. sucking sound yeah. of that kid taking in the attitude or the behavior of their parents. Right. Yeah. And that forms another kind of script. Right. Okay. So now if you look at the TA literature, you've got different ways of working. Mm-hmm. You've got explicit memory. Yeah. Ideal for redecision therapy. Right. Maybe using an empty chair yeah. and putting them whoever the other person is on the other chair, talking to them coming to the emotional expression, realizing what decision they made, and changing, making a new decision. And Bob and Mary Goulding, in their book, Redecision Therapy, covers that very well. Mm. In my book, Integrative Psychotherapy in Action, that's about redecision therapy. Right. When it comes to 
implicit conclusions, then you need a relational therapy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not something that happened on a specific day at a specific time. Yes. But it is an accumulation. Yeah. yeah. Event after event. From a certain environment and climate. That's right. It's criticism after criticism after yeah. criticism. Yeah. Right. Neglect after neglect. And the person just comes to conclusions. Mm. Oh, I'm worthless, or people can't be trusted, yeah. or life is suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's another way of working. And that's why you've got a lot of transactional analysts focusing on relational psychotherapy. Mm. Yeah. And some others are focusing on redecision. Yeah, people will need both. Yes. And then the younger the neglect or the trauma, the more it's going to be in the body. In the body yeah. Or the more severe the trauma, even at a later age, it's going to be in the body. Okay. So a 12-year-old is being beaten by his father. Yeah. That's, that script's going to be in, in the body, body yeah. tissue. Yeah. Or a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl who's being molested by s- some neighbor. Yeah, it's, that script is going to be caught in her body. Mm-hmm. So I pushed for a long time in TA that we have a bodily oriented therapy. Yes, uh, that doesn't mean that every therapist is going to touch the client. Yeah, yeah but that we be focused on what's happening in the body. Where's the constriction? Yeah. Yes, where's the tense muscles? Yes. Then also something that I did pioneer, and you asked earlier, is writing about treatment of the parent ego state. Treatment of that interjected script. Okay. Of how we have the person imagine being their parent and provide real psychotherapy for their image of their parent that they carry in their head. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. been some remarkable changes in people's lives through that kind of therapy. Yeah. So we're talking about several different types of transactional analysis when applied in psychotherapy. Yeah. Okay. And is that unique, Richard, from your experience in comparison to maybe other modalities? Because I'm thinking about CBT has become kind of uh, the National Health Service model now in many countries in Europe as the answer to all problems. And it's definitely our experience that that doesn't work for everybody. CBT is marvelous mm. if used in very careful measures and if bracketed by a caring therapeutic relationship. Yeah. But a cognitive and behavioral therapy alone often gets immediate superficial results, mm-hmm. but it pushes the problem often underground. Okay. Uh, there's a concept of the paradoxical theory of change. Mm-hmm. And that is the more the psychotherapist pushes for change, mm-hmm. the more likely you're going to get an unconscious homeostatic reaction to stay the same. Uh, okay, right. Unconscious. Very yeah. interesting. But the person is driven to stay stable. Right? Yeah. So now, do I use behavioral methods? Yes. But I'm looking at them. And when I'm teaching, I use a diamond shape. Yeah. I teach about working emotionally, what I call the ABCs of psychotherapy. Affect. Mm-hmm. To deal with what are you feeling? How do you experience it? What's going on emotionally? Mm-hmm. And then cognitively, what is the person believing? How do they make sense of it? Mm-hmm. And what do they believe about themselves? What do they believe about others in the quality of life? 
And then when they're believing those beliefs, notice their behavior. And when they're doing that behavior, feeling those, that affect, what's happening in their body? Mm. So when I'm doing psychotherapy, I'm looking at affect, cognition, behavior, physiology, but always within the current relationship. Mm. What's happening between me and that person? And then also, what's happening between that person and the other significant relationships in their life? So, yes, I think it's marvelous. Is it vastly overrated? I certainly think so. What's missing is I'd love to teach cognitive behavior therapists how to work emotionally and with the body. Mm. Then I think we'd have a much more complete psychotherapy. Now, transactional analysis does do that. Yes. Yeah. Integrative psychotherapy in the hands of some people does that. Yeah. Some people, they use the term integrative, meaning mix a little bit of every techniques. Yes. Right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about working within that diamond of cognition, behavior, affect, physiology, surrounded by the concept of relationship. Okay. And Richard, do you, can you understand the history of why it was that transactional analysis got to that point of being so all-encompassing? Because it seems like what, what happened, at least from my basic understanding, looking from the outside, is that people started to pull in other disciplines and other modalities and kind of said, let's get all the best bits together. Do you, do you feel like that's what happened with TA? Certainly, that's not a wrong interpretation. Okay. Uh, it, it might be a little simplistic. Yeah. Uh, I think I was fortunate to have an older set of colleagues because I was always the young one. Okay. Uh, I, I was going to ask because when you talk about when you were working in university in the 60s, I thought, hang on, I, I really don't want to ask how old you are. But you don't look old enough. No, I'm 78. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But I, I was started as a university professor in 1967. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm very fortunate at the time. Um, but uh, Eric yeah. Brown was still very psychoanalytic yes. in his approach. Yeah. He didn't like psychoanalysis any longer mm-hmm. after sort of not never getting himself certified. Yeah. He developed some wonderful ideas. Mm. I mean, he, he has attempted to deal with games. It never really spoke to me, but his idea of ego states, and particularly working with the wounded child, right. the second half of Transactional analysis in psychotherapy, yes. I think, is just a gem in this right. world. Mm-hmm. So that's how he was working. Yeah. Um, his writings in TN psychotherapy were about his work with borderline women, mm-hmm. which is why he emphasized there doing social control because two mornings a week he had groups of borderline women in the hospital and they were all in one group. Yeah. So he was always working on their developing social control, not regressing. Okay. But when he saw them in individual therapy, he did much more regressive and affective work like a psychoanalyst. Okay. At that same time, there were some of us who were training in Gestalt therapy, such as Finney English, Bob Goulding, myself. And we started bringing in some of the Gestalt methods mm. because they were useful along with the TA concepts, yeah. particularly the concept of parent, adult, and child. Right. Yeah. So in those days, I was working in conjunction with a psychiatrist called Edgar Spence, mm. and he hired me to teach him gestalt therapy, 
and he's trying to sneak in the TA, <laughs> and, and we started using empty chair. And yeah. he had the idea, oh, well, if you've got a child chair here, put an adult chair here. Ah. So at first we had then the two chairs. Then we brought in a third, parent, adult, and child. Yeah. And sometimes we had critical parent, nurturing parent, adult, oh, wow. adapted child, natural child, rebellious child. Wow. And he wrote an article called The Multiple Chair Technique. So there's one of the first real integrations of Ultrastalt and TA. And TA. Yeah. Bob Goulding, I think, was influenced by a guy named Harold Bernard. Okay who wrote a book called Direct Decision Therapy. Harold Bernard, although he was Jewish, had listened to the evangelist Billy Graham. You know who I mean? Yeah, Graham. I saw him. And Billy Graham would ask people to come up and make a direct decision to yeah. accept Christ in their life. Yeah. And Harold Bernard said, if Billy Graham can direct people to change their life, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And he did a course with the American Academy of Psychotherapists that Bob Goulding attended, and Bob picked it up and refined it from there. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. So he brought that approach into TA. Yeah. Okay. So now you have the classical, redecision, integrative. Well, you've got two different kinds of classical. You've got a classical in San Francisco, seminar, yeah, and one in Carmel. Okay. And in Carmel, it was much more psychoanalytic. Ah, okay. Uh, in terms of its style yeah. and understanding and relationship with clients, whereas in San Francisco it was more behavioral. Byrne once said he had a bunch of young Turks, he called it, meaning young rebels who yeah. had been to university, learned behavioral therapy. This is before we called it CBT. Okay. They called it behavioral therapy. They learned behavioral therapy, such as Claude Steiner. Yeah. Had his PhD from the University of Michigan in behavioral therapy. Oh. And he influenced Byrne and some of the young people there, mm. whereas Carmel, you had a much older seminar. Okay. So you got two different uh, groups vying for influence in the association. Mm. And um, this association is the, the IPA. I'm talking about the early days. Up, up until about 1973, 74. Huh. Um, then you had people like Jackie Schiff. Yeah. Mm. Um, Jackie Schiff was a sociologist, is that right? No, she was a social worker. worker. Uh, And she was interested in child development and traumas of childhood. But she did a lot of encouragement for people to look at things from a developmental perspective. Yes. And that's where kind of more the development theory began to come into TA then, was it? Probably. Not not just from her, but there are people like Pamela again, and, and I've always been bringing in concepts from her child development yeah. and doing workshops. Good. And then you have people like Jeannie's Clark, who brought it in from an educational yeah. perspective. But these are the days, before 1976 or so, everybody in the association who was an active member was a psychotherapist. Okay. They were all psychologists or psychiatrists. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some people like Jackie Schiff who are social workers. Yeah. And then there was a lot of pressure on expanding TA so that people in education could get cert- trained and certified yeah. and people in uh, the business world could get trained and certified. Where did that, where did that pressure come from? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real interesting melting pot, this yeah. history of people from all it backgrounds. Actually, 
came from a guy named Aaron Schiff. Okay. Oh. One of Jackie Schiff's yes. kids. Yeah. And it came from Laurie Weiss. Okay. And they both worked in education. Right. Neither of them were psychologists. Yeah. And at that time, you had to be a psychologist or psychiatrist. Okay. Yeah. And they put a lot of pressure on the board of trustees. I remember them having um, a protest meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, they were made special members. Okay. Right. All right. Which in the beginning they seemed satisfied. But yeah. A few years later, people came back and said, "No, this is demeaning. Yeah. We're special members. <laughs> this is like being handicapped yeah. um, in a negative sort yeah. of way." So then they got certification in education yeah. and in organizational consulting. So yeah. right from the early days, then the educational and the organizational was a part of after the first ten years. Yeah. yeah. No, we went for about 10 years before they really had any okay. and it's really interesting. Any certification. Yeah. Now they seem to have a predominant want in the association. Yeah. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and TA resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.